Hello everyone, welcome to Creative Psychopaths, a horror movie podcast. It's just me again at the top of the podcast, begging and pleading that you share the podcast around, give us a rating and review, and join the Facebook group. Um, So, before we start the show, the only thing that you need to remember is ghosts obviously aren't real. Boo! Oh, a ghost! I knew he was a ghost because he was wearing a white sheet. Hello everyone and welcome to Creative Psychopaths, a horror movie podcast. You thought we were gone, you thought you'd banished us for good, but one of your friends stupidly brought a Ouija board round and we're back to terrorise your life. Um, Today we're joined by Matthew, who is going to be talking to us about his horror history. So we're going to start with me actually being polite and saying hello. Oh, (laughs) how are we? I'm very good, ready to uh, feast on a horror sandwich. <laughs> well, this is the first slice of bread, so let's 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 get into it. Let's get it freshly out of the packet, buttered, and don't go into Audible because that's not where your notes are. Um, <laughs> so the first question is, and I'm sure you already know this, is what is the first horror movie you can actually remember seeing? So I think for a long time for this question, I would have said Jurassic Park. Because I was yeah. such a chicken yeah. growing up that I just, just thought it was a horror and everyone else thought it was a horror. Uh, and then it turns out much later that, oh no, it's actually, you know, a children's adventure film and I was just a massive chicken. Uh, I think the first <laughs> horror film though that I properly thought, this is a horror film, it looks really good, so I'm going to watch it anyway, despite being a chicken, uh, was so... Mm-hmm. So a little, uh, yeah, so a little sting for, uh, I was on some sort of Sky One movie preview show uh, back when they yeah. used to have those. And the line that he wants us to cut through our foot rather than the chains. And like, I think I was to be like 13 at the time. It absolutely blew my mind that that was a plot point in a film. <laughs> and it's, uh, it's, so it's a good one to start with. I mean, I would actually go back to Jurassic Park. I would say that is absolutely a horror film. Um, you know, yeah. whether it is whether it is family, I mean, it is aimed at families, but it's got major horror elements in it. And um, the person I spoke to last week, and that episode's coming out this week, is um, there was a lot of Spielberg that scared a lot of people. So I, um, I do kind of think that you need a bit of scares in an adventure film of any kind. Like even films like Toy Story, you know, Sid is, is a scary character when you're five or six and the scene in his bedroom. That's, that that did me as well. Well, in fairness, the toys ramp up the scares as well towards the end of that film um, with them all coming out of sand pit and with a backwards turning head. Um, But yes, Saw, um, the good thing, I, I like the first Saw film. I like the first two. After that, I go real off the boil with them. But the first Saw film's great. And it's not as gory as people give it credit for, especially not that first one. No, I completely agree. Yeah, I think it's it still remains really 
sort of tense and focused, which yeah, yeah. I think the sequels didn't didn't take those lessons, did they? They went for shock and gory deaths and didn't yeah. didn't work the same. No, they're they're not as good. Um, I think the later Saw films, like you say, they're very gory, but I also think that they tried so hard because the twist in the original film is so good that they tried so hard to try and beat that twist that yeah, the twist. The twists were either overly complicated or boring. Um, so, yeah, I'm not not a big sore man, but that first one's a good film, and I'm going to have to do that on that on here eventually. Um, so, was Saw, would you say that Saw's when you became a horror fan? I wouldn't, no, uh, okay. because I always think I've, I've just kind of been an idiot when it comes to horror for a long time. <laughs> so, you know... I, like I've always always loved Saw, and I've kind of realised I've always liked horror films, but I was just, I don't know, I thought I was uh, too clever to admit that, you know. And so it's like, oh, I like horror films. Sorry, I don't like horror films, but I like The Shining because yeah, that's right. somehow better. Or I like The Exorcist, or, mm-hmm. uh, and I think it's it's not until fairly recently, I'd say maybe sort of, I'd say probably the first It film. Uh, I recently started going out with my partner and we it was the first film we saw at the cinema together. Right. And she's a big Stephen King fan. So like she's kind of turned me on to it and we've, you know, really enjoyed just sort of exploring horror. And it's left me in a really good position now because I get to sort of experience all these horror films kind of fresh that I'd ignored for so long. Yeah, well, yeah, you're really fresh into it because when was... When was it? Chapter one. It was only a few years ago, wasn't it? Uh, well, it's 2017. Yeah. Oh wow, it was that long. About five ago. years or so. Yeah. <laughs> Feels more recent than that. Oh, brilliant! So, um, and have you watched quite a few since then? Then. Oh yeah, we're we're plowing through them now, and I mean, I think it's you know also helped that new horror films have just been so good as well. You know, uh, things we like been. Get Out, Us, uh, The Witch, The Lighthouse scent mode you know horror is just in a really good place at the minute and it's such enjoyable to, to go through yeah we have it's that, um what they call elevated horror at the moment isn't it it's very um we've been treated recently to some really good movies i mean my heart will always lie in the 80s but <laughs> uh, oh yeah well that's, that was uh another another golden age it was it? yeah um so well recently so what is your favourite horror movie then? Well, that plays into exactly what uh, I was just saying. So I think I've, I've got to say Hereditary. Wow, yeah. Um, I really love that movie. Uh, my other half loves it as well. Uh, Midsummer is a, another very close one. Uh, so we've we actually got a big Midsummer print up in the front room. <laughs> so that's uh, where we are at the minute. Um Hereditary was, um, I, I highly recommend that to anybody. If people want to see recent horror, that's the film that I'll always pick out um, recently because that film knows how to build tension like like there's no tomorrow. I think the back end of the film, it does start to lose itself yeah. a little bit. But by that time, they've wound you up so much that um, I think it just pays itself off. Yeah, I kind of think it does a really good job of uh, sort of planting those seeds 
through uh, throughout the film, you know, the little touches, mm-hmm. you know, things like the yeah. doormat having the, the payment symbol on it. And throughout the film that by the time the ending does come, it does get a bit silly. Yeah. yeah. I think it's, it's done the work to get away with it really. Yeah. And I'll take a bit of silliness with my horror films, to be quite honest anyway. Um, as I can say, I'm a child of the eighties. So um it wouldn't be fun if it weren't a bit silly, would we, it? We need a little bit of silliness. And uh, I think sometimes at least the silliness. And I don't play down the scares because we don't want that. But you know what I mean? It takes a little bit of the edge off because you don't want to actually leave not wanting to go to sleep. Well, yeah, I'd say, I mean, hereditary would just be two hours of very bad things happening <laughs> yeah. to people without with you, that. With you being left <laughs> going, oh, God. <laughs> so what is your favourite horror franchise then? So, again, like we said, being quite recent convert to, to horror i would say that i've not really gone through franchises as much as i'd like mm, you know? yeah. so saw is one that i have gone through uh and me and the missus went through all the halloween films last year but very recently and with the new film i think i've got to go for scream oh excellent yeah screams um excellent that's give you a little bit myself here is that Scream is actually, it came out, I think in 96 and I saw it when, and I was 16 in 96 and that was when I first saw it. And that was when I first really dipped my toe into horror. So I've got such a soft spot for those Scream films. Um, and yeah, you're right. They, those are great franchises and they always keep you on your toes. I think. I think uh, unlike Halloween and Scream, uh, sorry. And Saw, is that it doesn't, drop the standard much you know uh no. i mean this there's scream one then daylight before you know the next best one but yeah. you know scream two scream four the new one you know they're all still really good films they're as horror sequels go they're head and shoulders above a lot of yeah, others yeah and i think that's partly because it has the trope of knowing it's a horror film so yeah yeah it gives you it gives you that out straight away to know where you are with the film. It doesn't, it doesn't go, basically it does. It tells you what it is and it? it goes, look, this is a sequel. This is what's going to happen in this sequel. And it plays out the way it should, but it still does it with scares and with likable characters, which sometimes is something they lose out in horror films. Yeah. Yeah. It, uh, it, yeah. It plays with the form while still staying true to it. Doesn't it? I think it does. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Like the, uh, so I, I think it's sort of uh, similar uh, in a way to Knives Out as well, which is another film that I really enjoyed in that it's it's doing the exact thing that it, you know, these genre films always yeah. do. But yeah. it's, it's giving you something different, just a little tweak it to uh, make it more interesting. Yeah, I think, that, yeah, it's good. It's like being cle- It's like being clever, but also them telling you that it's clever and it's okay to enjoy it. It's... <laughs> It's yeah, good. definitely. It's good. Um, right. Well, um, that I believe is the first slice of bread buttered. Um, you can add whatever you want to that. I'm, I really have to get off the sandwich metaphor <laughs> because eventually this is this show is just going to become horror sandwich. I know it. Um, so the movie that you have brought along is Ghost Stories from 2017. Yes which is our first British horror here on the show. I mean... I think it's very local to you, isn't it, as well? Aye. All, all filmed in your neck aye, of the woods. Yorkshire way. 
Well, as, as a Lancastrian, I, I should be embarrassed about that, but I'll let it go. <laughs> oh, no. Aye. <laughs> uh, is some of it in Blackpool? I, I'm not quite sure. Uh, I think it's. It, they did say Filey uh, in the film, uh, but I'm not sure Hi, if there's... that's... Uh, where they actually where did they the lost film. My train of thought. You, know, you said you said Yorkshire, you said Lancashire. My brain is just battling with roses. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so the, this is also the first horror anthology, basically that we've that we've had on here. And I love horror anthologies. Um, now I saw this film possibly when it came out. I don't remember going to the cinema to see it, but I did. I've seen it a while ago. I don't remember having an overly positive view of it. Um, but we'll go through the plot now and then we'll talk about our feelings at the end. I don't mean, not in a, not in a sharing way, but you know what I mean. <laughs> well, I mean, that, that's, uh, that's the theme of the film, isn't it? About uh, men needing to talk and release their emotions. And maybe it'd do us some good. No. <laughs> <laughs> that's not the podcast people He's subscribe to, in. is it? Um. <laughs> But I don't know. I, uh, I over Yorkshire myself there. Just <laughs> to rein it in, right? So um, this movie was uh, it was released on October 27, twenty seventeen, at uh, the London Film Festival, but it didn't get its official UK release until April twenty eighteen. Um, I couldn't find what the budget for this was, but I'm going to assume based on having watched it that it wasn't a massive budget. Um, but it, it box office at 4.2 million, which again isn't a huge box office, but from what I could tell, it didn't get a worldwide release. So no, I do think it's definitely one that slipped under the radar. Uh, yeah, yeah. I think the uh, the stage show that it's based on was very well received though. So it does come as a bit of a surprise that the film you know didn't really get that audience that I think no, you're right. Done. And I must admit, until I was started doing the research for this, I didn't know it was a stage show. So um maybe the stage show's not as well known, or I just don't know it that well. I, I like to pretend I'm a fountain of horror knowledge, but it's I'm <laughs> learning week to week here. Um, so the film stars Andy Nyman as Philip Goodman. Uh we have Martin Freeman as Mike Priddle, uh Paul Whitehouse as Tony Matthews, and Alex Lawther, I think, as Simon Rifkind. So this movie starts with a, um, well, we get a brief view into a mirror, um, but it doesn't tell us anything about the mirror. And then we get a clip to a home video of our main character, Philip Goodman, uh, his bar mitzvah, and what seems to have been a troubled home life. From what I could tell, he had a sister who um, was sort of dating out of the religion and it caused a lot of problems at home. Um, yeah, definite troubled family life, yeah. daddy issues as, as well in that, yeah. uh, that, that segment. Uh, and also I think very importantly, it does focus quite a lot on that bar mitzvah, doesn't it? And yeah, yeah. Uh, faith being a recurring theme to come. It does, yeah. Um, faith and sort of his... Well, let's not get too much into it and, 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 and drive We'll get there. there. <laughs> uh, so we are introduced to him then as being Professor Goodman, uh, host of a show called Psychic Cheats. Um, he is investigating a psychic called Mark Van Rees, um, who he reveals to us is receiving 
a radio signal from his wife sent him with prayer cards. Um, at this point, we see the psychic on stage and he is um, pretending to talk to a lady's son. Now, while he's doing this, um, Professor Goodman comes on and interrupts and sort of spoils the whole thing. Children often make the best connection because they're so pure, you see. It was such a good boy. He still is, my sweet. He still is. He says he's happy. But he does miss your cooking. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, I am sorry to interrupt. My name is Professor Philip Goodman from the TV programme Psychic Cheats. Mr. Van Rees, we've got, Mr. Van Rees, we've got proof that you are being fed information through a hidden earpiece and you are passing that off as contact with Excuse the dead. Me, I sir. beg your pardon. Can this you... is going to be broadcast on national television. Can you deny that you were using an earpiece? That's slander. Now, there are some thoughts I've got on this. It's quite conflicting because on one hand, you know, you think, I do want these, I don't like these people to get fleeced for the money. But on the other hand, it's really well acted in the film that, She's obviously getting a lot out of knowing that her son's okay, um, whether it be true or not. Um, yeah, I think the uh, you know the, the the conceit of the character is that he's he's interested in being right yes. rather than caring about how the people around him yeah, feel. That's right. Um, yeah. the, the woman is very clearly taking comfort in you know what is a lie in that scene, but. It's a nice lie. Yeah, for it is. It's, and he, he just throws that right out. Yeah, like you say, he he is a character who doesn't care. As long as he's spouting facts, he's not bothered about how it affects other people. Um, and I think we get into that a, a bit later when he goes to the cases and his treatment of sort of people. Um so we discover that Goodman's inspiration comes from a TV show uh, with Dr. Charles Cameron. And we see a clip from an old TV show um, that this Cameron is involved in, which is quite a funny clip, very British humour. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, a nice fun joke in there about fingering. <laughs> <laughs> um, we also find out that Dr. Cameron is missing. Um and during this time, or at least over this scale, um, Professor Goodman receives an odd parcel in the post. Um, no address on it, just says his name. And inside it's got a cassette and a current picture of Dr. Cameron holding um, that day's paper. He also has a cassette with an invitation to come and see Dr. Cameron. So he is alive and not missing, um, which is solved that one. I think that's where you see Filey. That's where the car goes missing in Filey. Yeah. yeah, that's uh, the seaside yeah. town. Um, so we find that Dr. Cameron is living in an old caravan. Dr. Cameron seems to regret um, his sort of choices and making, doing the things that, that Professor Goodman's doing, which is sort of spouting, you know, the truth and ruining people's lives sort of thing. Yeah, it's ex exactly what we spoke about with the, the psychics, isn't it? It's left him embittered and you know, uh, realise that his life yeah. isn't made better for yeah. being right. Truth. I look back now at my work with absolute shame. I see the arrogance and the disrespect with which I went into those homes. I took pleasure in pulling those stories, those people apart. You've been really hard on yourself. I have seen your work, Goodman. 
You want to know what I think of it? It's shit. So he doesn't seem to like Professor Goodman, um, but he gives him three of his sort of unsolved cases, if you were. And these cases are what are going to form the sort of anthology. Um, so while he's reviewing the cases, he's sitting on a bench. And while he's sitting on the bench, he sees some kids horsing around on the beach. Ooh, foreshadowing. Yes. Holding uh, one, holding a dead bird up to the, uh, yes. to the other, isn't yeah. it? So we go to case one, which is Tony Matthews, played by Paul Whitehouse. Um, we go into an old pub. I actually think I recognise this pub. I'm sure it's in Leeds. The uh, yeah, in in the the film, it's oh. called the Tenth Number. Oh, is it? it? I didn't notice. Didn't pick up on that as well because there's a lot of subtlety in there. Oh, I was, uh, yeah, I've got a whole lot that I want to get through, Excellent. but I'm, I'm, I'm just holding it in ready. <laughs> I couldn't find loads of facts, so if you saw them or found them, then excellent, go for it. Um, so, yeah, Paul Whitehouse is, um, well, he's sort of a cockney, <laughs> which is what Paul, which is what Paul Whitehouse he's, is. He's playing Paul Whitehouse, isn't he? Yeah, you look like a teacher. Huh? Right, um, well, <laughs> technically I'm a professor, bloody insist on calling me that on that TV show that I do, Psychic Cheats. Oh, yeah. <laughs> That's yeah. what I know you from. Yeah, yeah I've seen that. <laughs> yeah, shit. <laughs> I'm only joking me, mate. <laughs> I ain't seen it. I've never even heard of you, somebody. He's like Paul Whitehouse, evil twin. Kind yeah, of. I actually think he's really good in this. He's sort of... Um... Because he's such a comedy character all the time, you don't get this from him. But it's actually quite intimidating in this. Quite intimidating. I think, uh, sort of to, to sidetrack a little, there was an interview with Andy Nyman talking about the film that I, I read uh, in preparation, where he was saying that to build tension, you, you've got to convey a message that something's off. And I think casting comedy actor Paul Whitehouse in this sort of role is just... It's just a perfect way to do it, even though, like you say, he smashes it out of the park. He's really great in the Yeah, world. he is excellent. He's just so not used to what you're seeing from him, though. No, no, well, just lately, I'm used to seeing him go fishing with Bob Mortimer. Yeah, it w- warms the heart, doesn't it, that show? <laughs> I'm obsessed with that show. Well, I was, but I watched them all. Um, turns out Tony is a night watchman, and Goodman pays him for his story. Um before he goes through to his story, he asks about his family. Um, and this is what I was going to say to you before. Like, I can see as a skeptic what he's trying to do. He's trying to find out details here about, um, you know, why this man might have seen this thing that he doesn't believe before he even heard the story that he would have seen. Um, but he does it in such a, um, not even a cold manner. It's just sort of, sort of matter of fact manner where he's just getting facts and not, and not, you know, he doesn't really care about it. So we hear that um, Tony's wife died 23 years ago of cancer and that he also has an illegitimate daughter who yeah. has been in hospital for sort of five years with uh, locked-in syndrome. And eventually he says he stopped visiting. Um, so then we skip to the actual event. Uh, so he's working. Um, oh, no, I tell the light. First, he starts talking about working on night shift. And he's talking about... 3.45 a.m., which um, I actually work nights, and he's right. That's such an 
odd time of night, like regardless of how long you've worked nights, around that sort of time, your body just just go, <laughs> and your brain as well. Like it, it's it's a tricky one. It was like it was such a weird sort of fact to pull out, and so true. Um. Anyway, so so now we get to the event. So uh, it's he's a night watchman in an old women's mental hospital. Um. He explains that two colleagues had quit. Um, recently because of strange visions and sights. Um, his job is in a small sort of security room. Uh, it's obviously quite a dull job as security usually is. So it's like walk around every hour and then, I don't know, well, we'd all binge watching our phone now, but back in those days, he's <laughs> got a radio, is not he? So all power goes out. Uh, so Tony investigates and resets. I'm not sure if it's a generator or if it's just everything's connected by odd wires. Um, but he goes out, resets, and all the lights come on. And the cup that he had been drinking tea from is sat on the floor. And that's it says Blackpool on the on the cup, which yes. is why I wasn't sure whether yes. it was Blackpool. Um, well, it's got the Blackpool Tower on it, because that's what Blackpool's known for. <clears throat> the lights go out again. He resets the generator again, and then we get a sort of investigation with a pigeon jump scare. Uh, with the uh, Marek, who he's talking to on yes, the radio yeah. as well. He uh, describes the mood. Uh, I'm going to butch the pronunciation, but I promise this is what my uh, my other half told me, who's Polish. Uh, he says it's uh, uh, Josh mm. Levy, which means... Evil. It means evil. So I don't know why we lost the audio, but I guess something evil happened. So it's... Yeah, so it's a, it's a mood that is all around the wow. place. Another good fact. I should have got you to write this. <laughs> <laughs> so all the lights go out again, and we see a sort of flash of a girl in red, in yellow. I don't sure that's a colour. Yellow. Um, but it's done by torchlight, it's torchlight, and it's there and gone. I notice at this point, and, and, and later on, but the use in this film of, light and shadows is fantastic absolutely yeah. all the way through it it leaves the film with a real when they get into these cases everything has got a sort of sense of foreboding just because of these overreaching shadows and and the way that it works in that way it's fantastic i think that's uh that's a hangover yeah, stage yeah. play as well being that with uh you know with a very different space to work in that's where you well, you hide the strings, isn't it? You you don't light them like you would what you it want. It translates to see. fantastically, though. It translates so well. Yeah, the, the fact that they brought that over instead of you know doing what they could have done with it is brilliant. Um, so Tony tries to radio the other security guard, who you like you say, what was his name, Marrick or yeah, and Marrick, uh, yeah. he hears Mama over the radio, <laughs> and then a loud bang. Uh, he sees someone lying on a bed um, and they are moving slightly, but it turns out it's a mop, the old bed mop. I sort of, I like, I really did enjoy that. And it's such a creepy thing, but then when they get to it, it's like, why is there a mop there? It's, it's kind of very human, isn't yeah. it? That's exactly what, yeah. you know, I'm never scared of ghosts until I have to go to bed by myself at half past 11. And it's, uh, you know, turning the light off and getting upstairs can't be fast enough, can it? <laughs> no, <laughs> you're true. Um, so then he hears Fitz 
footsteps. No, footsteps, not fit stops. Don't know what they are. Um, and a oh dear, smash generator. Yes, he finds a sort of well, the smash power cables really. The generator. Here's some crying and moaning, and then he enters the obligatory mannequin room. Um, I think just before he does that to get to mm-hmm. it, he walks down a tunnel with very non-sequential numbered doors. So he's sort of 79, 96, and yeah, not in any sort of order that uh, you would normally have it's doors. It's sort of foreshadowing, isn't it? Um, we'll get yeah. there. <laughs> like I say, then he walks into the man. It's hard he to hold this the in. Mannequin room. <laughs> I'm not sure why there's a mannequin room. Uh, welcome to the mannequin room. I mean, presumably it's been used as storage, but obviously it's just a creepy room. And we've seen one covered in a poncho. Uh, but it turns out it's just a mannequin, which is good. It's a, it's a mannequin in a hospital it's like gown, a child isn't it? mannequin. Yes, it is a mannequin in a hospital gown. Yeah. You've noticed so much more about this than I did. Um, <laughs> so then the lights all switch out, uh, a door slams and Tony panics. Again, excellent acting from uh, Paul Whitehouse here. That's genuine panic. Or it seems like it comes across like it. Yeah. I, I wouldn't be surprised if they just played a trick on him. Just, <laughs> <laughs> just for fun. The, the old diehard released them it's, on two. Sort um, of thing. It, it's a good thing that he's given us a character that who, who seems tough and sort of, you know, well, not well-rounded. That's not that's not the word I was looking for. But so, yeah. And then to Scrappy. see him jump into panic, like. Yeah. He, uh, I mean, you know, if, if, if I was in the situation he was in, I'd, I'd have just locked myself in that room and <laughs> and uh, well, I wouldn't even left the radio on if it turned off. I'd have just sat there probably weeping. But, you know, he, he shows, you know, fight. He yeah, goes out yeah. with a hammer looking to, to, you know, to go after it. And, you know, you say when it comes in that he's terrified later, it just it makes that all more impactful. Good character it? development. Um, we, see, uh, we see a flash of a yellow dress and a girl def- with a deformed face. Uh, we see her more clearly, and she approaches him and hugs him, and then puts a rotting hand in his mouth, um, which again is sort of foreshadowing-ish. Uh, we get another mirror flash. Professor Goodman has a conversation with a reverend about Tony and how this event sort of changed him, really, um, and that he went to visit his daughter with the locked in, and it showed signs that. She knew he was there, and it was it was a good conversation, actually. I think it uh, again. It sort of comes back to that that first scene with the psychic again. Mm-hmm. You know that he's shown faith in something, and you know it doesn't matter if it's quote unquote true. Yeah, but it's it's had some positive for him, and you know, like he said, his daughter. You know, and maybe that idea that maybe a little bit of faith can can heal, uh, you know, sort of a, a wishful thinking yeah. there. Right. So we go into case two, Simon Rifkind. Um, now, we meet Simon, who seems a little paranoid. He wants um, identification from Goodman uh, before he invites him in. Um, 
Yeah, he really, uh, again, another actor who's he's really dialed this up, hasn't he? It's, it's full hammies, yeah, this role. He, um, he later on is so creepy. Um, very good, very good. Um, so he invites Goodman into the house and then up to his bedroom. Uh, Goodman looks around the house a little bit first before uh, going in, and he sees Simon's parents stood in the kitchen, not doing anything, just staring at a wall. Creepy moment. Yeah, very. I I, I have a theory, <laughs> but I will I will be saving it as to. Uh, he then follows Simon upstairs. Uh, along the way, get distracted by a photograph of four yeah. boys at a tunnel entrance. Um. He doesn't know which room Simon is in and proceeds up to the second floor or sort of attic uh, where he does see movement. But then Simon comes behind him and invites him to his room, which is on the first floor. Simon's room is covered in uh, very odd pictures, um, devilish pictures, one might say, and is very warm. Um, There's also... uh, I don't know if it's hilarious, but there's a very good joke here about... I, I did think this was hilarious. I absolutely right. love this bit. <laughs> he says, what if you get, if I get sick of looking at them, and he's just got one picture of Sooty and Sweep on the wall, um, which is fantastic. And if you're not in the UK, it's just a picture of two, it's like a dog and a bear from an old kid's show. It's very good. Weird hand puppets. They're very out. good. Very wholesome. I can, I, can, uh, I can go with that. Like I say, Simon here is very creepy. I don't want people looking at me and thinking that I'm mad because I know what I saw. And that's the thing. I know that I'm tired. I'm so tired and I'm finding it hard to think straight right now. But, I mean, I want to talk about this. I want to find out about this. But I don't want people to think. just want everything to be straight now. No frayed edges, no loose ends. All straight, all smooth. Uh, Goodman asks who else is in the house and he says just his parents. And then Goodman's trying to sort of suggest, but there's somebody upstairs. But Simon is not happy about this, and he sort of demands that he goes to check, but of course he doesn't. Yeah, it locks uh, several locks on the doors on there. On yeah, idea. very creepy again. Um, so Simon, oh, you see, he's locked in. <laughs> he's uh, locked in syndrome, like uh, Tony's daughter uh, and uh, yeah. the, his dad, who he visits between these two cases. Who, yeah, so he's locked in as well. He does seem locked in. I didn't write that down, but um, you're right. Um, so then we do Simon's story. Uh, Simon's been driving his dad's car back from a party. Simon, it turns out, had taken his driving test and not passed, but lied about it. He gets a phone call from his parents. and It turns out that he's been telling a lot of lies over his life. Um, and then while on the phone, he hits a person. <laughs> Something. <laughs> Simon investigates and he sees he's hit a goat person. Oh, hello, goat person. But um, obviously he drives off in a panic. Brilliant bit here again, the acting wise, as he's driving away, see a sort of slight descent into madness. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's brilliant. It's brilliant the way the actor there goes from being panicky to slipping into a madness and then going back to sort of panicky it's quite good <laughs> yeah. yeah i think that uh i mean it's it's everyone 
staying out too late and lying to the parents dialed up to 10, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, it is. It's very good. Um, the car suddenly becomes very faulty. All the electric goes and it breaks down. And then we get um, the evil dead camera, which is a nice touch. So basically it's a camera. I didn't, I didn't notice that. Yeah. It's a camera traveling along the, the ground, heading towards our protagonist in this. It's, that's good. I enjoyed that. Um Simon gets out of the car and calls for breakdown service, which is very normal. Uh, very normal. Um, he gets back in the car and he grabs his A to Z for protection, which is, well, it's got to be the worst weapon in the world, isn't it? It, it is, but again, like we'd all grab it, wouldn't we, in that yeah. situation? Well, you've got to get something <laughs> as a comes to hand. Yeah. Uh, then we suddenly see goat guys looking through his window. Uh, it then climbs on his roof, then gets into the car with him, and we hear "stay." Um, Simon runs. He is see he and he is seemingly attacked by a tree. Also very evil, dead. Very much so. Yeah. Um, and that is sort of end of Simon's story. Um, Goodman investigates the area that Simon said that he had broken down. Uh, he goes to see a sort of fallen down tree in the mound underneath the tree looks sort of uh, humanoidish, monsterish in shape. Uh, and then he goes back to his car and he sees a sort of, I guess it's like a dead version of himself trapped inside the car. Um, but when he opens it, there's nothing. Yeah. Again, sort of, is that his own descent into madness sort of thing? You're mirroring what, what he's been investigating. It's a strange one. Cause, um, Eventually, obviously, this all unravels, and when we get to the end, not a lot of that matters, but at, at that point in the film, it's a bit of a strange inclusion, I thought. Um, yeah, it feels very out of place does, at the, the time, doesn't it? Uh, so we get on to case three, Mike Priddle. Um, so Goodman is walking with Mike through a sort of moor, I think, and Mike is a bit of a toff, and he talks about... Um, having wanted children, but he was waiting, his wife wanted to wait until she'd been promoted at work. Um, he's sort of dressed in hunting garb. Uh, they get to a small shed with some hunting equipment. Mike removes a shotgun while talking about uh, IVF and his wife getting pregnant. Um, <clears throat> there were complications, it seems. So his wife had to go to a hospital. Um, so he was left in the house on his own. So we cut to the sort of event. Um, so it's a big, lonely house. Um, and they play into the loneliness as well, I guess. And even seeming like a lonely character, it feels. Um, but Yeah, I think, uh, I think while the other two felt very close in camera-wise, so you know, very tight, very, uh, you know, large parts of the screen in the framing when whenever Mike Priddle's on he's always stood towards the back yeah. of the shot in very big open yeah. spaces in it uh, and you know like the moors as well isn't it again yes. that's another huge open space and there's, there's it, nothing in the frame apart from those two quite sort of middle distance yeah you're right yeah I don't think I noticed that but that's yeah that's really good you're right uh it also has very beautiful views out of its house so that those are definitely Yorkshire views um, I noticed that. Uh, yeah, I'll be terraced houses if it were on that way. 
Um, so Mike at this point goes into uh, the baby's room. In the crib, there is a yellow dressed faceless doll, which of course is a callback to case one. Um, uh, he approaches the doll and then be- behind him, um, nappies, diapers, whatever you call them. While we're in England, we call them nappies, but I don't want to, I don't want to alienate anybody. Uh, anyway, they fly all over the place. Um, he checks for drafts. Now, before we started this, I was going through my notes and I've definitely wrote checks for dragons. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I was looking at it before we started going, why have I written he checks for dragons? Um, but while we were talking, I realized that he checks for drafts. Just yeah. see what blew the nappies around. I mean, a, a dragon, you know, they could probably make it work if you wanted to. I mean, he could be checking for dragons. Yeah. I don't know. Uh, anyway, suddenly uh, lots of baby items, pseudocrem and stuff like that, all stacking themselves on top of each other. Good effect. Um, Again, this is yeah. a practical one as well. And it's, it is taken straight from the stage. You know what? I, the, I thought the, it might be, you could tell. Um yeah, it's, yeah, it, it, it's well it looks rehearsed, great. It, it looks really great, and you can tell that it's a practical effect. I'm going to presume that they string through it or something like that, and they just pull it back together. Anyway, let's not let's not yank the curtain. Um, so then we cut back to Mike and Goodman, and um, Mike has a bit of a chat about a poltergeist, or at least um, what he thinks might be a poltergeist, or thought might have been. Uh, at this point, Goodman sees a figure in the distance. Um, he looks away back to Mike, and then when he looks back, uh, he's suddenly confronted by a hooded figure right up close to him. Um, and then we cut back to the event, uh, which is the next night. Mike hears a loud smash, then he goes back to the nursery again. So this is, uh, again, sorry, just to say again, this is also taking place at quarter to four in the morning. Oh, really? You're yeah, right. there's a there's a big clock on the yeah. Uh, yeah. on the wall that shows that. Yeah, and I I kind of just assumed uh, with back to uh, to the second case as well that that's the middle of the night. So I've always kind of assumed that's right, that that's his parents are very as well. upset and like weirded out like how late he is because um, yeah, you're right. So that's probably yeah. true. In fact, I reckon if you check back, it probably it probably. It probably says there's probably a car clock somewhere showing in those. I never even noticed that that was a thing, even though I just said it to you. Um, (laughs) Anyway, so he goes to the baby's nursery again. The baby's mobile is moving around, not his phone, Um, but obviously the thing above the cot. (laughs) And he approaches what looks like a small child under a blanket. It seems to be standing and moving in the cot. It suddenly vanishes, and then the room temperatures drops dramatically. They do that nicely by obviously showing his breath, but the baby crib, as they have, has got like a temperature monitor, and it drops right into the blue. Mm-mm-mm. Oh, yeah. Okay, we see his wife in the corner of a room. She suddenly flies towards him, red-eyed and ugly, and emitting a blood-curdling scream. Hmm. It turns out that um, his wife had died during this thing, during childbirth. And it is implied that the baby is something monstrous um, and killed his wife. I managed to get out of the room. 
don't know how long I've been standing there when the phone rang. It was the hospital. I knew what they were going to tell me. The prophet. Apparently the birth was... He's bitter in two. I'm glad Maria never lived to see what party looked like that would have destroyed her. No one believed the Barty would have survived this long. But somehow, life finds a way. It's what I've learned that uh, life goes on. Yeah, I believe he says, uh, have you ever come across anything evil? So sort of back to that, that first yeah. case again. With, and with then the Mike evil. shoots himself. I think just before that, there's a very important line which again you, you know, may not notice the first viewing that he asks him have you ever killed yeah, I left that out purposely <laughs> and, <laughs> ah sorry I'm, no, I do okay. apologise <laughs> so something something he wouldn't admit to is, uh, right, is the line he does, he, you're right he does say that to him um, have, you, yeah, have you ever killed anything and then Mike suddenly shoots himself comes out of nowhere um, and it's um, very it's quite shocking uh, and then we see another flash yeah. of mirror again. Goodman is obviously disturbed by this, and some of the other, and obviously the other stories too. I think mainly that somebody killed himself in front of him there. It would do me. Yeah, with that. yeah I would struggle. <laughs> yeah, he's managing to drive though, and gets himself back to Doctor Cameron. He Goodman still claims that a lot of these things are a hoax. Now go back to a lot of this stuff is. Um, is explainable, which I thought was interesting. Um, when you go back to each one, obviously, you know, um, Tony's dealing with the loss of his wife and his daughter being locked in. Um, uh, Simon, is it Simon? Sorry. Yeah, Simon obviously has some sort of um, OCD, which you can tell. Um, and Mike is obviously sort of bereft at losing his wife. So it's interesting that given that, you can see it from Goodman's point of view that these would seem not necessarily like a hoax, but obviously um, not being real. So it's interesting. He also accuses Cameron of making the of having these things be a trick so he could replace him slash disgrace him. Um, and he he utters the line, everything is exactly as it seems. I know exactly what's going on. Oh. Thank God. What? This whole thing's a stupid, shitty hoax to get you back on TV. It's a way of usurping me. You are a lonely, jealous, bitter old man, and that's the truth. Mr. Goodman, you wouldn't know the truth if it kissed you on the lips. Well, I know this. There is nothing in any of these stories that couldn't be explained away by any intelligent five-year-old. Nothing. You just can't find it in yourself. Can you, Philip? You can't find the humility to admit that perhaps, just perhaps, things are not always as they seem. And that is precisely my point. Everything, everything is exactly as it seems. I mean, which is just dangerous territory in a ghost story, isn't it? <laughs> 
It's it's the I'll be right back of Scream, isn't it? Yeah, <laughs> it is. <laughs> it is because suddenly Dr. Cameron removes um, his face, a clearly prosthetic face. They don't get away from that. He obviously pulls it all away from himself and reveals himself to be um, Mike or Martin Freeman, really. Um, interesting. I didn't know. I didn't realize it was Martin Freeman until it was Martin Freeman. And we're like, oh yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I do believe it's a different actor until a certain point. Uh, and they they do, I mean, they do a really yeah. good job of covering that change up. Uh, because yeah, like you say, you, you even right as he's taking the the mask off, you you don't twig that that it's Martin Freeman until it's Martin Freeman, <laughs> you know. Uh, sorry, I I am just checking the uh, the IMDb for this because I uh, I was sure I'm probably going to make myself look like an idiot in a second, aren't I? When I uh, to be honest, I thought on the second watch that it it did seem to still be him, but uh, you might be right. Oh, sorry, no, I I uh, believe it's a different actor who plays him as young, and then it's then uh, the old man. <laughs> Either way, I thought the prosthetics were good. Yeah, they were. Yeah, like I say, you don't realise that it is him until it really revealed his him. And then, because obviously I watched this twice, I watched it as a movie to enjoy and then the second time to review, as it were. Um, and it, it, on that second viewing, I was like, oh, yeah. It, yeah. <laughs> um, and then... Like I say, like we say, going back to everything is exactly as it seemed. Mike then suddenly tears away the scenery um, and reveals a brick wall with a door that he walks through. Uh, and then we get a pan back where we see parts of what would be the caravan set, but also just an empty, empty room, uh, which I thought was a really good shot. I agree with you. It's just sort of grey and dark and... I think it's very foreboding, isn't it? It's just a door with nothing you can see behind um, it. <clears throat> Went to a teenager then. Um, um, so then Mike and Goodman are walking down a train track. Mike makes fun of Goodman in a sort of bullying way. Um, and you can see somebody behind Goodman, see someone there. And then we get what would say is Goodman's case, Goodman's story. Um so he follows Mike into a little bit of forest and we see some kids hanging outside a sort of sewer tunnel entrance and Goodman looks on. Uh, the two kids, clearly bullies, uh, address Goodman and he has a slight exchange with them, but then he is replaced by his childhood self. Um, they bully him for a little while and... And then we suddenly see the hooded figure from before. But it turns out in this case, it is a kid with alopecia and seeming learning difficulties called Callahan, I believe. Desi Callahan, yeah, who uh, they bully him by calling him Kojak. Yeah, they do, yeah. It's not very nice. Um, so I think as well, when... Uh, when Goodman does see the bullies as well, they, they do throw some anti-Semitic slurs at him as well. Yes, they do, yeah. Which I think also 
sort of uh, is a very quietly good character moment for Goodman mm-hmm. because again, you know, with, with that sort of abuse, it's, it's kind of gives him an excuse to turn away from faith and belief when it's been so know, it's been what it, what so it gets you life, is yeah. bullied. Yeah. Yeah. What I will say is going slightly back to that is the actor when he's playing his childhood self as an adult does a really good job. Um, yeah. <laughs> it, 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 it's good that he suddenly becomes a child and believable as that. And when they slip it, straight into it you don't it's not jarring or anything so where are we going so the bullies under the pretense of letting uh callahan join their gang they send him into the sewer entrance to find 10 numbers or at least the 10th number um we see the first number on their entrance they send him in with a torch and this is where we get the sort of theme that you noticed and i didn't of numbers in strange orders I would say as well, they, they, they did crop up a couple of other times, which I didn't mention as well, in that uh, the lockbox in which uh, Mike Priddle keeps his guns, they're printed on the inside of the door for that. Are they? Yeah. Uh, and also when he first parks up at the caravan park, they are painted on the garage doors. Yes, they so are. They, they, they do recur. I think they, they're probably other times that we've not mentioned as well, but... Yeah, it's uh, they go they go on a yeah. lot. So the kid goes down, and like I say, the numbers are not in any particular order. Soon the kid wants to come out, but the bullies sort of they're not in there, but they force him to keep going. And um, sort of given his sort of I guess learning difficulties, he just keeps going. The tunnel becomes more and more narrow, and he has what looks like a fit uh, that they also then t- say is an asthma attack, but he passes out slash dies it's not clear what actually what happens there but he does die in the tunnel um and they certainly all the kids including goodman leave him for dead goodman emerges back onto the railway tracks as an adult again and of course mike addresses the uh, situation that happened saying that obviously you know you didn't do anything and he tries to justify his actions but obviously it's that's pointless justification. Nobody's on his side at that point. You left him to die in there, didn't you? What could I have done? Told someone when you got home? Brought it up in assembly the next day? How about running into the Echo to see if Desmond needed help? It was a fluke. It's one of those things, a horrible accident. How convenient for you. We then see a crib. Mike feeds his, what we know to be a monstrous baby, some cat food. It's it's a, it's an odd creepy moment, but it's more creepy when he picks the kid out. Yeah. Real nasty blanket that he's wrapped in. Yeah, 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 and he's treating it like it's a child, like a like a real child. And there's this moment of telling Goodman to shush, and Goodman does the shush moment too, and he starts cracking. Um, and Mike explains to him that the reason that Goodman's insistence to prove that everything can be um, explained away is because he didn't want to have to face this otherworldliness that his consequences, the consequences of his his actions really, not in terms of, you know, the actual reality of going to prison or something like that, but what that would do to him, I guess, in the afterlife. Um, He needed to prove to himself that he wasn't going to go to hell for doing this thing. I, I think that's where I got from it anyway. I think uh, I, I sort of got from this that not so much that uh, 
that fear, but sort of like the natural crescendos to what was happening yeah. in that the guy was so obsessed with truth and showing the world what was real and what wasn't that, you know, this, this huge moment staring himself in the face and he can't believe the truth. He, he, he won't accept that he was uh, essentially complicit in a young kid dying. Yeah. Yeah. You're right. It's, it, it's awful, basically. The whole thing's awful at this point. It, it feels awful, makes you feel a bit awful. I would, yeah, this is the moment for me where this, uh, I think what we've not, not covered so far is just yeah. how fun it all is up to this point. You know, the, the scares are great and, you know, we have a bit of a, a, a ride with it. But I think this is the moment where it goes, this is this is, this is horror. Thing, this yeah. is horrible. You know, and yeah, you, you don't want to be. You, this is what you don't want to experience. You know, the rest of it. I think if you know you could sell those experiences oh, of yeah. a haunted house, you'd you'd get markets for them. But this is the bit where no one's touching it. No one wants to get near anything like how this must feel if yeah. it was real. So the hooded figure. Um, that we know is now Callahan jumps out at Goodman and he has a sort of rotten face and he's laughing and he rips Goodman's off uh, clothes off to reveal a hospital gown. Uh, Goodman suddenly panics and Callahan rips away the um, train scenery and drags him down a white corridor. At the end of the white corridor, there's a curtain. Behind the curtain is a hospital bed. Pushes him onto the hospital bed with... with Goodman panicking the whole time. Um, Callan lies on top of him, putting his fingers into Goodman's mouth. At this point, we cut to Goodman being in a hospital bed, uh, obviously with tubes going into his mouth, which is what the fingers are supposed to represent. Um, we see the yellow doll is on a chair. Um, and then... Characters that we've already seen, Simon and Mike, come into the um, the room and the doctors talk about how this is obviously Goodman, but he's suffering from locked-in syndrome. Uh, yeah, he was uh, admitted at quarter to four yeah. in the morning. Ah, yes. Professor Philip Goodman admitted April 13th, 3.45am, attempted suicide. <clears throat> Failed self-asphyxiation in his car. Silly bugger, shotgun in the mouth. That's the way to do it. <laughs> oh, I'm gonna see this. Mm -hmm. Ha! <laughs> right. Neurological examination reveals fixed and dilated pupils. So, what's our verdict, Dr. Rifkind? Rifkind, uh, it, uh, coma, uh, probable lock-in, he is here for keeps. Yeah, just one of those things. Lights are on, there's nobody home. With a failed suicide attempt. That's right, yeah, yeah. Again, a quarter to five. I don't know why I didn't pick up on that. Um, bad brain. <laughs> well, th this is the moment where the whole film comes together. It... it I think all those moving parts and those recurring themes yeah. pay off. And I think it is 
just in such a hugely satisfying it, yeah, way. Yeah, you're right. It it is, and it, it gives you a, a a good a good payoff. Um, like I say, the doctors talk about him having locked in syndrome, and like you say, all the other things. We see Paul Whitehouse come in as a sort of caretaker, and he puts the mirror over um, Goodman's face, which is the mirror that we've seen lots of times over the movie. Um, and then we see a bird hit the hit hit the window that he that the mirror is pointing out of. So when when I was watching this, uh, you know, for the podcast, I, I did try to pick up as as much as I could from this scene as to what had been sort of the, been laid as breadcrumbs. So I think uh, you mentioned that the doll from the the first and third cases yeah. is in the room. Yeah. Uh, the picture above the hospital bed mm-hmm. is the path that Simon Rifkin's driving down in the second. Oh, really? Uh, so we mentioned the 345 admission. Uh, Mike Priddle is the doctor who's treating him, and he says that if he was going to kill himself, he would just shoot himself with a shotgun. Yeah, he does say that. Yeah, uh, yeah. He also, at the when he's uh, talking to him, he keeps answering text messages and then chuckling, and like he does uh, in the case as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, he does a Scottish I've accent as put, well, which. Uh, he does uh, <laughs> mentions his old mentor, Dr. Yeah. Cameron. Yeah. Uh, and then he also examines him with the eye light, like he does in the uh, on the train tracks mm-hmm. uh, as well. And the curtain, uh, sort of the examining curtain at the side of the room mm-hmm. is the same pattern that the uh, mannequin in the hospital gown was wearing in the first oh, right yeah uh, the first case and then the uh radio that uh, Paul Whitehouse talks to while he's cleaning the room is also what's played yes yeah that picks that one out yeah there's probably more as well that yeah. that was everything i got in the uh, the first uh it's also given me my theory for the second as to why we don't see Simon Rifkin's parents because he's uh, he's speaking to his mum on the phone. Right. Uh, So we kind of know she exists, but we never see her. He's got no frame of reference for it. Yeah. 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 So I think because, I mean, the film is so sparse of characters throughout, isn't it? That Mm -hmm. they are all in that room at at the end, uh, apart from the only character we see is one that we don't see. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it, the, there's so much here. There's a lot of Easter eggs there, and it, it's a brilliant payoff to the movie. Um, what gets me though is the scary thing about this is that, given all this, that he's obviously locked in, but we know what's going on. We know what's going on inside his mind, and he's trapped in. To be honest going back to what I was saying, he's trapped in the hell that he was always trying to avoid, uh, or at least trying to prove it didn't exist, that he created a sort of hell of his own making. Well, yeah, you know what I mean? I think there's, uh, again, there's a theme that we've we've sort of touched on briefly at the end when we said about, you know, the guilt uh, about Desi, but I think guilt and faith do run right the way through the thing. Uh, you know, through the whole film, yes, like yeah. 
it's Tony thing, yeah. is you know feels guilty for not seeing his daughter. Simon feels guilty for lying to his parents. Uh, it's not expressly said, but I kind of think Mike Priddle must feel guilty for just leaving his wife while she's having problems to spend time at home to do some work. Uh, and again, I think that kind of is also a reflection of how Goodman feels about himself in that you know feels guilty for not having a good relationship with his dad and feels guilty for throwing his life into work instead of having relationships and bonds with people. And, and it's, it's driven him to this just nasty, awful yeah. end. Well, hang on. I just want got one last thing to say, actually, you know, I think about it before we go into our final sort of thoughts of it. Um, it ends with a monster mash, which is just... It does end with a monster it's mash. Just, <laughs> it's just really strange because, uh, honestly, it's sort of a downbeat ending and then we just get a monster mash. I think you need a palate cleanser, don't you? <laughs> just to... Uh... To, to get you through that. As bit. jarring as the film isn't, that is jarring. <laughs> Hang on. I think, uh, I don't know if that. As well, I think as a question for you is that at the end of the film, when we first sort of see him go into the hospital bed, he, he keeps saying, not again, not again. So do you think that he's sort of replaying this? nightmare over and over and sort of a loop or yeah, that's that was my feeling that was his hell that he was that he was yeah. that he was doing that over and over again that was that was my feeling um yeah i think in the uh the stage show is it's the last time i mentioned it, i promise <laughs> but it's the uh the the framing device for the for the thing is is very different so uh the three cases are all the same and, and the ends are same but the it's presented for the first part of it as if it's a lecture. So Goodman is giving uh, a lecture about, uh, you know, psychics and myths and, you know, uh, trickery, like, you know, like the psychic. Yeah. And at, at the end of the film, uh, sorry, at the end of the play, he comes out and starts delivering that same, uh, you know, that same lecture again. So... But I, I I did also think that you know that it is that that loop. Yeah. You know, and that's of, over and over again in, in hell. That's by the sounds of it, it is. <laughs> yeah. So right, let's just get into the final final thoughts about it. Then I've got a couple of Facebook comments. Um and then we'll we'll um give it the rating system that I backed myself into a corner with. Um, <laughs> so we've been through this. We've, redu- re- we've reviewed it. Um, we've seen all sorts of signs and signals and watching it for a second time. Um, it's so good to see all these things, you know, that, you know, you're going to see again. And I guess it goes back into the loop theory that we get to see it on a loop in a way. <laughs> um but yeah. let's take all that away and regard it as a horror film. It is brilliant as a horror film. It the um, each story is great. It's they've got scary moments. They don't overegg what jump scares. That it's acted fantastically. It's a good horror film, and like I say, it's got a good a good ending payoff. Um, 
at least that's my final thoughts on it. But I mean, you recommended this, so presumably you obviously. <laughs> I I do love this movie. I, I think it's, I think you know, like like you just said, it is. It's a great horror film. It it I think it works on really two levels. Is it is that that fun horror film, this fun scares, and then I just think just slightly underneath that, which I think is also really enjoyable for me as well, is that there is a lot of stuff going on underneath it, you know, like we said about guilt and faith and grief and, and that stuff. Uh, but yeah. I think it's all it's all quite superficial. It's quite easy. And I think there's a lot of reads that yeah. are all valid on it. Uh, yeah. Which I think it is sort of, it works for sort of popcorn movie. And if you want to give it a bit more analysis as well, which, which is nice from a film, you know, we don't, we don't always get no, it. Is. It's, it's nice to enjoy a film, but also when you go back and analyze it, like you just said, and get more out of it. Fantastic. Yeah, he certainly pays off for multiple watches as well, which, which again is is great. Right, so we got sort of um, disregarding your own um, comment on here, unless you want me to say what your comment was. But, um, no, at point. Watch well, the movie I said before to, the podcast. Uh, yeah, watch the movie before listening to this. So if you're listening to this, alert, then um, yeah. <laughs> Tough luck. Tough luck. The Sorry. advice is too late. <laughs> uh, so we've got Ad. It's been out so we've five got Adam years who says, uh, I saw the stage show before the movie, which was great. I've never seen a show that made so many people scream. It was really interesting comparing scenes and how they translated. Um, it's good that he's been to see that he's seen it. I would definitely recommend it if, uh, if the opportunity yeah, I, comes I think up. I might yeah. search it out. Uh, and we had one from Tube Man. This film was so good and so weird, which is true. Yeah, right. nailed it. So nailed it. let's go into the review system. Is it creative psychopath or is it shit? Well, I think I think it's very creative. And I think you've probably got to be a little bit of a psychopath to make this film. So, yeah. It's a creative Definitely. psychopath for sure. Um, right. So that is the filling, the enormous... Juicy filling or crispy filling, whatever, whatever filling you want for your sandwich. Um, so we'll go into the last two slices, last two slices of bread. Now I can't even make some. Horror Big Mac now. Um, no. <laughs> We've got another filling oh, no. after this now. <laughs> oh, no. Strap in, we're doing another movie. Um, no, we're going to do the final slice of bread, which is the last two questions, which I will try and find on my phone. And there we go. Um, so what is uh, a scary moment for a non-horror movie that you remember? So I vividly remember as a child being terrified at the end of Who Framed Roger yeah. Rabbit. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, when uh, when Judge Doom uh, gets rolled over by the steamroller, blows himself up with the uh, the gas, and then... You just see those, those eyes and mouth just just bulging. Absolutely, that is a scary uh, moment. Yeah, that that absolutely terrified me as a child, and and probably still does now. I've not yeah. watched it uh, for a good few years. The crap out of me anyway. Um, I think it comes back to what we said earlier, doesn't it? You know, you've got to have a bit yeah. of a scare for for an effective that kids film. Movie's got one of my most emotional moments that I can hardly watch, where um, he picks up a cartoon boot. It's just a boot, like a cartoon oh, or something. Yeah. And melts it in the stuff. And it's like that 
He's it's yeah, one evil character, isn't it? Um, right. So, if you could make a non-horror movie a horror movie, what would you choose? So, I think, I mean, instinctively, I really, really want a proper Star Wars horror Ooh. film. I think it's a, a universe that is rife for it. Uh, so, I don't know, just as a very basic idea, you know, Halloween, but Darth Vader's the boogeyman. You know, that <laughs> that sort of thing is just, it just seems so obvious. I, I know Disney are never going to touch something like that because they market these films at kids. So I'll give you my proper answer, uh, which is with Nail and I. Yeah, yeah, that... Because, I mean, for a start, I think being away for a weekend in the middle of nowhere with a drugged up posho would be an absolute nightmare for me. But I just think the, uh, I think it would be very rich for horror if you want to play that, you know, two guys go into the middle of nowhere and then you can take it in all sorts of directions from there. You know, do you go like the lighthouse and this descent into madness? Do you go, one just goes mental and tries to kill the other or... You know, does the uh, the uncle come and be that agent of chaos for both of them? It's yeah, I think it would be be really good if you wanted to play it that, that way. Is a really good answer. Like you say, it's got elements that could easily be turned around. Um, lovely, right? So uh, that is going to bring us to the end. So I will say thank you to everyone for listening to the podcast. Um, thank you to. Matthew? Thank you. It was a pleasure. Oh, good. I'm glad. Um, and if you want to join in on any conversations with the podcast, I have uh, started my own group for the podcast, which is Creative Psychopaths that you can find on Facebook. And I will be posting on there each week what movie is coming up and um, if you want to add some thoughts to it. And if you want to get in contact with the podcast, if you'd like to guest or anything like that, you can get me on creativepsychopaths at gmail.com. That's creativepsychopathspod at gmail.com. Idiot. And um, give us a rating and review wherever you like. That'd be lovely. And the last thing is to say, bye. Nineteen! Forty-eight!